2: You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 179. Today we are talking about the Moxie book to screen adaptation. Before we get started, we want to let you know that we still have the Unabridged podcast reading challenge going on. This episode actually gives you some a great option for two of the categories or a category and a bonus category, since this is a YA book. Jennifer Matthews, Moxie, and then the adaptation. So we have a nice community both on Facebook and on Instagram to share ideas about how to complete the different categories of the reading challenge. You can find us on Storygraph where you can log in your challenge books that you've read. So that's fun and you can compare it with other people. So yeah, let us know if you'd like to join. You can find out more information at unabridgedpod.com slash readingchallenge2021. All right. Well, to get started today, we are going to do our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading?
1: So I shared about this one on Instagram recently. So Sarah and Jen will know, but I am looking for comfort reads. I've been talking about that on my account and have shared a little bit on here, but we have a lot of tumult in our family life right now. And so I found that I was reading a lot of romances, which I was really enjoying But then I was looking for something a little different, but still in the arena of comfort reading. And so I started Alan Bradley's Flavia Deleuze book one, which is The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. (laughs) (laughs) Both Jen and Sarah have shared about this one, and I knew that it would be fun and interesting. And I had you also had shared that the audio is great. And so I had seen it on Libro FM. They did that $5 audio deal a little while ago. And so I purchased it on there. And I know we've shared before, but I just love Libro FM and I love the way their platform works. And so that's another thing I really like about them is you can, without a subscription, you can purchase things, you can do the sale items and you can add those. So it's been just kind of hanging out on my Libro app for a little while now. And I was excited to get started with it. So this one is narrated by Jane Entwistle. And I remember Jen sharing before that the audio is really fun. And so I just dove in with that one the other day. And this centers Flavia De Luce, And she is 11 years old. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail because I know that both Sarah and Jen have talked about it before, but she is very precocious. She loves science. She's particularly interested in chemistry. She has quite a dark side, but the dark side is really funny. And so I think all of that's really fascinating. She's very interested in poison and concocting things that could hurt people. And yet she is quite charming and has a pretty challenging situation in a lot of ways she's got these two sisters she feels very distant from them they dump on her in the opening of this book they dump on her the fact that she is adopted and Mm. (laughs) casually mention it over breakfast one morning and say that they weren't supposed to say anything and they were sworn to secrecy and she was like no it can't be true that can't be true and they tell her a whole story about how her mother who had passed away when she was very very young took all these pictures to the adoption agency to try to see if it looks like her. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so it's that kind of thing that she is always battling with those two older sisters and kind of concocting ways to torture them, it seems. But in the beginning of this one, she it discovers a Person who is dying in the garden outside of their house, and then watches this man die. And so that is the inciting incident essentially (laughs) in this story. And so things go from there. And prior to that, the one other ominous occurrence is that there was a dead bird found in the morning outside of the house. And it was clear that her father whom she cares about but seems very distant from, was deeply disturbed by this appearance. And so you see that, and there's a bit of a scuffle in the night that she hears going on and sees going on a little bit, and then she discovers this body in the garden. So shenanigans ensue, (laughs) and... I am only a little bit of ways in, but exactly as promised, she is a very, very compelling character and the story is a lot of fun. So again, that's Ellen Bradley's The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. I love that one so much.
0: And I do too. I need to get back to reading. I mean, I just have so much to listen to on audio. Mm -hmm. And for those, I just want to listen to them on audio. It's just such great narration. They're really good. All
2: right, Sarah, what are you reading?
0: So I am almost done with well, first of all, my in life in real life book club is going to have their first meeting soon. And so we're going to meet outside and distance and all that stuff. But everybody's been vaccinated. So I'm very excited to have an in person book club meeting, which will be really fun. Uh, but we chose jocelyn Jackson's never have I ever and this is Sort of like a twisty mystery thriller adjacent (laughs) book. It is about Amy who is a suburban wife and mother who lives in this, I don't know, I, I picture like a planned unit development where all the houses look very similar and most people are wealthy and there's a lot of neighborhood gossip and so she lives in this neighborhood and she has a secret that happened a long time ago and then this new woman moves in. They have a house they call the Sprite House and it is I guess a more a transient location. People rent it out and so they kind of look down on that house and someone new moves in. It's a woman and her son her name is Rue and she basically Rue shows up at this evening book club that the women in the neighborhood attend and she shows up unannounced and kind of takes over and she's very charming and people really like her and then you find out she also is a pretty dark shady lady (laughs) and (laughs) and she begins this ploy to blackmail Amy about her secrets and it i have to say i have it was very compelling it has some twists that i did not see coming and maybe disturbing to some readers (laughs) so i just want to put that out there but i think it's going to be an interesting one to discuss. And I was actually at the beach for a little bit. It was the perfect beach read because it's super quick, kept my attention. <laughs> but again, it's a little twisty. So just so you know, but I really enjoyed the experience of reading it. And I thought that it was definitely lived up to the expectations I had. So that is Joshua Allen Jackson's Never Have I Ever.
2: I really want to read that. I read maybe the almost sisters by her and really enjoyed it.
0: I have another one by her that I got at a used bookstore. That sounds great. I think she's a great writer Mm -hmm. and she wrote very convincingly about this demographic. So I'm interested. I'm interested to see what you think if you read it, Jen. Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. It's on my list. We'll see. (laughs) I'm feeling a little overloaded right now, but (laughs) yeah. Jen, what are you reading? So I am in a Zora Neale Hurston kind of place right now. I am teaching her book, Their Eyes Were Watching God with my students. And Tony of Read With Tony is doing these read to learn buddy reads as kind of side buddy reads each month. And so I signed up to read Zora Neale Hurston's Dust Tracks on a Road, which is her autobiography. And I am listening to this one on audio. It is narrated by Bonnie Turpin. I always think she is amazing, but in this book, sometimes I just want to pause and applaud, even though nobody's around me, because her narration is so amazing. So Hurston talks about her childhood, which parts of it were really horrific. She had a very difficult childhood. She talks about how she ended up getting to go to college. She talks about how she became interested in anthropology. And one of the things that she studied was different dialects in the South. She goes to the Bahamas. And so Bonnie Turpin is navigating all of these different dialects, all of these different regional accents. And it is absolutely amazing. At times I kind of have forgotten that it's a narrator. I keep thinking of Zora Neale Hurston, which of course is ridiculous, but it is just that vivid. She just really brings all of these characters and Zora Neale Hurston herself to life. And Zora Neale Hurston has some pretty strong opinions. So the book is fascinating to listen to just what she's thinking about different things. She does talk about race and racism and activism and protest. And so she's talking about all of these things. Sometimes her opinions were quite quite controversial. So I think it's an interesting read with opinions that I haven't necessarily heard before. But I am just absolutely fascinated by Hurston's life and by the stories that she's conveying. And again, yeah, if you have the opportunity to listen to this one on audio, it is amazing. I'm thoroughly enjoying it.
1: That sounds great. I I have had that one on my shelf a long time and hadn't really gotten into it. I remember I think I started it and then just didn't gain a lot of traction. I love her, but I didn't make a lot of traction on it. But Bonnie Turpin makes it very desirable to listen. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that's inviting into the book as well.
2: I will say I thought the beginning was a little slow. It took me probably a chapter to feel really pulled into the book. I'm not sure why. I mean, it's the end of the school year. So I'm a little stressed, which may have something to do with it. But yeah, it's, it's amazing. I will also say just because I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast that I listened to their eyes were watching God narrated by Ruby D this last time. And that narration is also amazing. So again, that one was available on Libro FM, there was a great deal on it. And I picked it up and knew I wanted to refresh my memory before I made assignments for my students. So I'm going to read the print again before we talk about it. But that narration as well was really great. So yeah, I'm loving Zora Neale Hurston on audio right now. All right, well, we are going to switch over now to our main discussion. So we read the Jennifer Matthews Moxie as our buddy read in April, and then also discussed the adaptation with our buddy read group and had some very spirited reactions. So they, they were a lot of fun. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring up some of the comments that people made. We will give everyone full credit. <laughs> so let's start with overall impressions of the book. Sarah, what did you think of this one?
0: I really loved the book. I, I thought it moved really fast. And I really loved a, that the book was centered so much on female relationships, uh, supporting each other as women. So I really love the way that Vivi found her voice in the book and then had all of these wonderful characters and friend, and had created these friendships around her. Uh, I, I loved I love the book. The movie, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> <Killer> what?
1: <alert.
2: laughs> Ashley, what was your overall impression of the book?
1: I felt like it was a really powerful read. And I thought that the message of the strength of being together as women and how powerful women can be through that is really awesome. And I also loved that it additionally, Matthew addressed the role of male allies and what that can look like and why that's challenging. I think all of that worked really well. And I especially liked the female friendships that came from uniting together under a cause that they all supported and how they learned to be empowered by from that support and they learned what feminism was and why it's important and how it's okay to celebrate that and important to celebrate so i thought all that worked really well what about you, Jen? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it it's a different kind
2: of YA book. I haven't read one like this. It was really refreshing. And I have read a few books focusing on female friendships lately. But in those examples, the friendships are ending. So I thought it was really nice to read about female friendships that are working out and that aren't always easy But that sometimes when they had conflicts or when they had misunderstandings, you could see them making an effort to work through it, which I really appreciated. So yeah, I really loved it. I do think it reads a little younger than some YA that I've read recently as well. And I think that's mostly comparative. But I also think that it would be appropriate and enjoyed by a huge audience of YA um, readers. So I enjoyed that too.
0: I think there's not a lot of literature out there helping young women understand their own feminism and like what it is and how you can advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times girls, especially in schools. And I think that in Moxie, it it was kind of taken to a level that seemed almost absurd because you would hope that some adults would step in. But I do think a lot of young women are, expected to deal with harassment and cat calls and being touched. And it is accepted. And I, that's what I think. I think that's why I loved it so much is because I think growing up that we didn't have anything like that, that helped you navigate that and understand that that it's not okay for those things to happen, and that you you shouldn't feel uncomfortable in your own skin, and I that's what I think really spoke to me. I think that's what really why I loved it so much is because it really provided a narrative that would help young girls navigate their situations mm-hmm. that are really difficult. And like I said, I think in the book it is very, in, and in the movie also, it's so explicit that you would hope to God that someone would step in. But I mean, I think there's always an, there's a lot of times an underlying thing happening with young women in schools and in other, other populations too. But a lot of times Mm -hmm. young women are just expected to deal with those things.
2: Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting that in our buddy read, so there were some things that when I was reading did strike me as being slightly exaggerated that the like things about dress code and things about the types of harassment or explicitness that the boys were engaging in that they just got to pass. But in our buddy re-chat, a lot of the people in our chat shared those things that had happened at their schools or you know, to them as teenagers or some of them are teachers and they've seen these things happen. So I do think they're exaggerated, but I also think they're not out of the range of possibility so it's just like I think for me
0: it was all the things happening Mm -hmm. at the same time but I do think but yeah like I definitely think terrible things like that happen Mm -hmm. a lot
2: yeah yeah all right well we want to bring in the film a little bit and talk about one thing that worked for us in both the book and the film so Ashley what worked for you
1: I think that we talked in our group about some of the things that did not work. And there were, it is tough. I've talked about this before because often I am the one who's like reading and then watching right before the three of us discuss. And it is tough when you have read the source material and then you immediately watch that adaptation. But I think that something that really worked for me in the book and the film was the development of friendships that were otherwise non-existent through a connected cause and so i we really saw that Vivian and Claudia like you said Jen i appreciated that we saw that that relationship had been strong for a long time they've known each other forever they are best friends but it's not easy it's not an easy friendship in the sense that they do have to work for that friendship. And so we see that and we see that struggle. And I thought that held true well in the book and the film. But we also see the development of new friendships that come about largely because of Vivian's new passion for standing up for women's rights and for advocating for her classmates and herself. And so I think that we see that as she becomes more empowered to take a stand on a cause, that also develops these really great friendships. And I thought that worked really well in both places. I loved the way the film explored those friendships. So Mm -hmm. I love that too.
2: Sarah, how about you? What's one thing that worked for you both in the book and in the film?
1: (laughs) So after
0: I said all that about loving this book for the female empowerment, I'm going to go with the relationship with Seth. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I do feel, feel like that was an important part, but also like a really special relationship because he was so supportive of and of her and being an ally for this feminist group so i think i think that worked well in both of the both the book and the movie and actually i thought that seth in the movie was even better than seth in the book because he had a little moment in the book where I didn't like, didn't like the way he was acting, but I thought that the relationship seemed authentic. I thought it was, I always loved that first love. So I thought that was really precious. And I thought that it was written really well and it was really believable that relationship. And I just loved, I again, love the representation of a boyfriend who was supportive and being an ally and supporting vivi in this newfound cause and and empowerment so i really loved all that
1: yeah i loved him in the film i thought that his he was great i thought he was great i liked the actor a lot and i also felt like there was a lot more i felt that his character was more empathetic in the yes. film mm-hmm. for sure and that even the times when he was at odds with vivi we could see why whereas in the book i think that matthew was trying to show how hard it is for men and boys to learn yeah what it is like for females. So I do think that's what's happening there is that she's revealing that struggle to be an ally. If you are not the one experiencing the situation, it is hard. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like that was what was happening. But because of that, I did not like him nearly as much. Whereas (laughs) in the film, he was just much more empathetic. And I mean, people in our group, some people felt the opposite because they felt like he was too perfect in the film and you didn't see any of those flaws. But for me, I really loved the way that he supported her in every situation. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jen? So I really
2: loved in both the book and the film, the way that this celebrates different ways of being an activist and different ways of being a feminist, because I think sometimes there's this picture that so Vivian through the whole, most of the movie does not put it out there that she's the one who's responsible for Moxie, that she's the one who's responsible for starting the zine. And all of these other girls start coming up with ideas about ways to support the movement and ways to further the movement. And I kept expecting for Vivian to get resentful and for her to feel like she wanted to take credit and to stand up and be a leader. And she never does that. And I thought it's so interesting that I've been conditioned to feel that that's what people want, who want to stand up for what's right. And so I thought it was really great that she really was just trying to make a change, but that she didn't need it to be associated with her in particular. And I thought as well that Emma, now I thought this worked better in the book than in the movie, but I did appreciate that in both Emma, who is a cheerleader, is welcomed into the group and. I think sometimes there are stereotypes out there about what it means to be the right kind of feminist. This makes me think of Roxane Gay and bad feminist, but anyway, to be the right kind of feminist. And I think you see them working through the fact that you can be a feminist in a lot of different ways. And so I really appreciated that in both.
1: Yeah, that was another thing I really loved in both was that Emma, who could have been positioned as kind of the antagonist the Mm -hmm. whole time instead became part of the cause and part of the movement i just don't think we see that was one of my most favorite things about the book because i don't think we see that very often where somebody who seems to be an antagonist in the end isn't even changed right she's understood in a new way Mm -hmm. that creates a space for empathy and compassion and Mm -hmm. kindness that then enables this friendship i thought that was really great because i think that a lot of times even when we see that model For young adult literature, it still is like the person has changed. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's that Vivian came to see her. It reminded me a lot of what we talked about in Mira Jacobs' Good Talk when she talked about the woman that she worked for and how she looked at her but could never see her. And I think that we see that moment where Vivian really is able to see Emma as a person instead of this stereotypical shadow that she had believed her to be the whole time.
2: I think we see that too with Claudia, that she's so frustrated with Claudia that she's not putting stars and hearts on her hands and that she's not there in the book, it's in a robe and in the movie, it's in a tank top for their activist movement moment, I guess. And we see that Claudia can support the movement too, but it can be in a quieter, less obvious way. Uh, So yeah, I, I thought that was really nuanced and really well done. So, we want to move on and just focus a little bit on some changes from the book to the film and what we thought about those. So, Ashley, I'm going to let you start. What do you think?
1: So, something that I did not like at first, but came around to really appreciating was that in the film, the principal is female. So, that was a huge difference because in the book, the principal is male and also is the father of Mitchell. And so, there's all of this macho power happening that I think is very believable but is very different from a woman principal who is letting Mitchell get by with all these things and is looking the other way or minimizing the complaints that people are making. And so again, in the beginning, I didn't love that because I felt like I wanted the showcase of the macho culture and the way that that can dominate Ultimately, I liked that there was a statement being made that women play a role too, of course, in the way that things are and how things don't change. And that it's not all men in power that are keeping these structures in place. It is all of us as adults who contribute in society that keep these power structures in place, sometimes passively and sometimes actively. And so I really appreciated that. And that scene was... Where she and Lucy are in the office together and she is talking about harassment and how she says, you know, if you use that word, then I have to fill out all this paperwork. But it sounds like he's just bothering you. And I think like that whole scene was just brilliant Mm -hmm. about that Lucy knows exactly what is happening. And of course he is harassing her. And yet we see an authority figure who is a woman completely minimizing the situation and trying to brush it under the rug. And I Mm -hmm. thought all of that was great. So that was a change that I was very skeptical of that I came to really appreciate. And I think Mm -hmm. that there were a lot of messages tied to that throughout that were powerful.
2: Sarah, how about you? What's a change that you want to focus on from the book to the movie?
0: I think for me, I found Vivi in the book way Way, I was able to understand her way more than in the movie. And I don't know if it's just the condensed way that the movie had to portray her. I just didn't feel that... I didn't feel like her outrage. It just didn't seem mm-hmm. to be like a, like a progression that I understood. It just seemed... I guess I didn't buy when she first did Moxie in the movie. I didn't buy why all of a sudden she was creating this thing. And in the book I did like in the book, I thought it was all very well paced, but in the movie, there was just some things that they chose to focus on with Vivi's character that I just didn't, I don't know. There were, there were just a lot of things that I didn't feel were developed enough. Uh, Her anger at her mom and they made a change that her dad and her mom had split up and there was this one part in the movie where she is screaming about, is she going to go, is she going to see her dad at Christmas? And it just all felt very out of the blue Mm -hmm. and there was no context. And then it was never really mentioned again. I don't know. There were just some things that happened in the movie that, that, that centered around Vivian that I felt made her seem really childish. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like she and I did not feel that way at all in the book. So I don't so I yeah. don't know what you all think about that, but th- there were just some changes,
2: yeah. The scene where she and Seth are having dinner with her mom oh. and John, I was really frustrated by yeah. it because mm-hmm. that was another one where in the book, you understand her feelings about her mom and John much more. But in this one, it came out of the blue. And then she has this complete meltdown. Seth is trying to be supportive. She screams at him. It just, yeah, it escalated way too quickly and went far beyond what seemed right. reasonable is not the right word, but it seemed to fit with her character. Well,
0: and the champagne too the champagne scene where they're at a football game and she has number one has a champagne bottle at a football game.
1: And then she's drinking out of the bottle. Very apparently. Yes.
0: And then she walks home and like walks it. I mean, all that just it took me out and made me. Yeah, I just didn't like any of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like in the book, her character came off as being really nuanced. And mm-hmm. in the film, she just was a mess and not in a believable way, but instead in a, her volatility was not believable, mm-hmm. but she seemed way more volatile. That scene, that dinner scene really just did not work for me at all. And I kept thinking if I would have been, if that would have been me
0: when I was a kid <laughs> or a teenager, and I would have acted like that in front of a guest and a Two guests, basically. I would have been in big trouble.
1: (laughs) For sure. Well, and even afterwards, there wasn't the... I feel like in the book, she really connects to her mom. Mm -hmm. And in the film, it seemed that way. But then she was horrible to her several times. And that was one of the times.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was really frustrating to me because I felt like it took away from her resonance as a character.
1: We could talk about Vivi, I think, for a long time because I felt like that was something that was a very big difference, but... Jen, what is something you wanted to share (laughs) that was a difference to focus on?
2: You don't think we should just continue venting about a single character? Uh, It's funny
1: because there were so many things that did work as far as the characters, but that one I really struggled with. And I didn't feel like it was the actor that was the problem. I think it's what Sarah said, that we lost the pacing Mm -hmm. and backstory that I think we needed to make us see all of her sides. And I think in the film, they're trying to show all of her nuance and it just doesn't play out because we're missing the background and we don't have the grandparents which right. we talked about that in the buddy read but I think we had a much better understanding of the grand her grandparents their connection to the mom, the mom's connection to Vivian and then all of that and how that fit together. And I Mm -hmm. think that that made it harder without those layers. Anyway, what about you, Jen?
2: Yeah. So again, there were a lot of things that didn't work, but I want to focus on one thing that I feel like mostly worked. I thought that they did very intentionally try to increase the representation in the film. I don't think it was always completely successful because sometimes it was on a superficial level. But I appreciated there being increased diversity of race, of sexuality, of there's a transgender character. There's a character who is in a wheelchair. And you see how all of these girls are part of the movement and making a difference. And they share a little bit of their story. I thought Claudia, they really tried to give her a backstory and they made her the daughter of an immigrant. And you saw how that played into some of the choices she made in the buddy Reed, We did talk about the fact that because they didn't do enough of that. And again, I think the pacing of the film here is partly at fault. Parts of that could play into stereotypes a little bit. But I also thought that it made a lot of sense with her character and with the way her character was developed. So I just appreciated that effort. I think that's a tough thing to do. And I think they did it fairly well. Again, I don't think it works completely. I don't know. What did you all think about that?
1: Yeah, I was really happy to see it. I liked seeing the inclusion of minor characters who have very specific struggles that people can certainly relate to. So the transgender student who said about wanting to audition for a part that she wasn't allowed to audition for, and then seeing her audition for that part later on, I thought that those were subtle touches that spoke to the range of the feminist movement and a way that that Amy Poehler even referenced that when she talked about feminism and her time and the ways that it was exclusive of a lot of groups and I think that's certainly something that has been criticized of the feminist movement that is particular to white women and it is not always inclusive of people of color it's not always inclusive of transgender women and so I thought all of that was was rich and I agree with your comments Jen that some of it played out better than other parts but I felt like The effort was strong.
2: All right, well, we are going to end this part of our discussion with a favorite scene, either from the book or the film. Sarah, what was one of your favorite scenes?
1: I think
0: my favorite scene is probably the walkout and the walkout of the young women coming out of the school and kind of standing up to the, and not caring about what the consequences. I mean, caring, but not, but being willing to go out even though there could be consequences, I guess, in finding their voice. And um, Vivian, especially finding her voice in the book and being able to say that she created Moxie and being there to stand by Emma when she tells about her story. And I really liked all that. And I do want to say one thing I loved in the movie is the one change I loved in the movie that is also one of my favorite scenes is Mr. Davies. He is very different in the book, in the book, in the movie. And I love the part in the movie where he is, where the teacher says, where he says, you know, everybody needs to do what they want to do. And then he opens his hands and he has the stars and hearts. I love that so much because I love that he came around because really in the book, he was just terrible in my opinion. So I really like that part, but so those are my favorite things. So it all of that centers around that walking out and standing up and not, not, and being willing to take the consequences that come with your actions in order to be an advocate and, stand up for what you believe in, which I really appreciated.
1: I like that change with Mr. Davies so much. And I I know from our group and from talking with people that certainly there are teachers who are really insensitive, but in the book, it felt like every adult was totally useless. And that is painful for me as an educator. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that there is no one who was going to be an ally for kids. And so I was happy to see that he was a work in progress, but (laughs) that he did ultimately support them and sent this message of support, even though he was not perfect. I thought that was great.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciated throughout that you see characters make missteps and learn from them and that that is not the end of them. I thought that's something that generally there are examples of that both in the book and the movie sometimes are different examples but yeah because I think that's important because I do feel like sometimes you feel like if you make one mistake it's just over and then you can't fix it so yeah Ashley how about you what's a favorite scene for you
1: Yeah, so something that they added to the film that I thought really worked was the dream that Vivian has at the beginning and then again at the end. And in the beginning, it's a bit disorienting for the viewer because you are experiencing the dream in the way that she is. But she's lost in the woods and she's screaming and screaming, but there's no sound. And you can see that she is frantic because she cannot make a sound even though she's terrified. And in the end, we come back around to that same recurring dream, but she's screaming. And I I thought that was really powerful. I loved the symbolism of that. I loved that even in that moment of empowerment, it's still a scream and she's still in a lot of ways afraid, but she's able to vocalize that emotion that previously was balled up inside. And I I thought all that really worked. So there were some things that were added to the film that I did think enriched the visual components of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Jen? What's a favorite scene
2: for you? I really liked, and this is both in the book and the movie, the initial thing in the zine that Vivian is encouraging everyone to do is to draw stars and hearts on their hands. And it's such a small step. And it, it, Claudia says, what's that going to change? She doesn't understand. But it's so nice to see that that is a moment of just reaching out and communicating that people feel the same as you and to sort of bring people in. And that's the moment when she connects with Kira again. And that's the moment when she's walking through the halls and she starts seeing people that she wouldn't have expected who have stars and hearts on their hands. And I just thought it's just really encouraging to think, Sometimes it feels so daunting to try to make a difference, but to see that just saying, hey, I'm feeling like something is not right, can be enough to start something bigger, that you don't have to know the entire pathway that this movement has to take before you start it, that just saying something is wrong is a good place to start. And so I thought that was really well done in in both works.
1: Yeah. I loved that too. And I loved one thing about that is how unbelievably self-conscious she was about doing it. And I thought that played out well in both as well, that she was desperate to scrub it off her hands because even that small act was too much. And then as she found, which is true of teens, but it's also true of adults, that she found people who were doing it too. And in, in a lot of ways, taking the risk basically to, to take a stand, even though it was a small thing, it is an act of courage to do Mm -hmm. that. And the courage is easier to find when you do it together. And I thought that message was just really great. I love that.
2: Well, we had a great time talking with our buddy read group about this book and this movie. And I thought people had such wonderful insights. I'll just put a plug in here. If you have not joined one of our buddy reads or our book club chats, we have such a good time. We have such a great group of people who discuss with us and, are willing to dig into these texts and think and learn. And so, yeah, if you'd like to join us, we have those on Instagram every month. It's on Mondays and you can just message us and let us know if you'd like to join. To end today's episode, we are going to do our Give Me One. And today's topic is thing you like to do by yourself. Sarah, what's one thing you like to do by yourself?
0: This is going to sound horrible, but I like to watch TV by myself. It is well documented that I have terrible taste in TV. And so most of what I watch is not appropriate for my children. And most of what I watch my husband despises. So so I prefer to be isolated, preferably with coffee or a glass of wine or something like that. And watching TV by myself, I find it very relaxing. And I just... I will watch it with my dog, but I I prefer to watch by myself because I very seldom get to watch exactly what I want to. So
2: if I get that, that's like this great, like guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's a good answer. Just wait for mine because you may hear some repetition. Okay. (laughs) Ashley, how about you?
1: Uh, Something that I really enjoy doing by myself is driving. And I think it's similar to what Sarah said, that I can listen to what I want. Or I've shared many times that I am somewhat obsessive about productivity and to a fault. And so then most of the time, I'm frantically listening on very high speeds to audiobooks. So maybe it's not like super fun, but it is a very satisfying feeling of, and I love audiobooks also, I should say. I have come to really enjoy them a lot of times, but it's also the feeling that I'm doing two things at once. I am going to my destination, but also accomplishing this other goal. And all of that is great. So (laughs) I like being able to pick what I'm listening to while I'm in there. And I just like the solitude of being in the car by myself. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jen? Jen?
2: Yeah, I I would echo both of those. So I'm just going to add a slight twist and say, I do love to watch TV by myself. And I love to watch TV with my husband. We have very similar tastes, but sometimes because of life, we cannot always sit down to watch shows together. And so I allow myself to have a treadmill show that I am allowed to watch when I'm on the treadmill. And I try not to watch it otherwise, because otherwise I will never get on the treadmill because I do not love to exercise. And so It's just nice to have that thing I can kind of cycle through on my own scale. I don't have to wait for him to be ready to watch. If he's having a busy night, I can still watch it on my own. So yeah, that that would be mine. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy this episode. If you have read or watched Moxie, we would love to know what you think. You can let us know. And don't forget about our Unabridged Podcast Reading Challenge and our Unabridged Podcast Buddy Reads. Let us know if you'd like to be involved in either of those. Thanks so much for listening.
0: you have
1: comments or opinions about what you heard today we'd love to hear them you can find us on instagram facebook and twitter at unabridged pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for a list of ways to support us
2: we'd like to thank jared featherstone who composed our theme music strings of light and katie amy of amy photography our podcast photographer thanks for listening to unabridged